0: Welcome to the Lisa Wexler Show podcast. Think of it like a magazine or a box of chocolates. You never know what you'll get. From politics to pop culture, healthcare to legal issues, it's all here. And my behind-the-wheel chats are personal observations created especially for you on podcast only. Enjoy.
1: It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up.
0: Welcome to the Lisa Wexer Show today. That's The Circle Game by Joni Mitchell, and today's the 10th anniversary of Sandy Hook, Newtown, the massacre, whatever we want to call it. We all remember it. Many of us were there. There are a lot of ways to approach today, and we approach today from the point of view of the survivors of the individual families, the survivors of the community. But I actually wanted to talk with you a little bit about this as a broadcaster because 10 years ago, I was broadcasting my show. I was sitting in a Westchester chair, and all the news was coming out, and I was broadcasting from 4 to 6 p.m. So I thought I would invite a couple of buddies of mine that were sitting in this chair, which is to say in our Fairfield County region on Weeby, our sister-brother station here at Connoisseur Media, and we have two giants of FM radio in the studio with us today, Danny Lyons of the Lion's Den and Storm & Norman, of the morning show on WeBe108. Hello, gentlemen. Hi, Lisa. Good morning, Lisa. So, thanks for coming in, guys. So, Norman and I were, I don't think the right word is reminiscing. No. We were thinking about what happened and how we broadcast. And, Norman, you were saying right here in the hot seat, you were in Bridgeport at the time, right?
3: Yes. Um, you know, I was on the air that morning, got off the air. And um, was supposed to do a live broadcast. Right. I think it was a clothing, a clothing store, store in Westport, just yep, a Main Street. You mean Brand you were star. you were like remote ready? Yeah, I was ready, ready to, to go.
4: go. He was actually there. I think we called you. Yeah, back. yeah.
3: and uh, you know we got the phone call. Danny called and said, uh, "You know, this is something's going on." And I came back to the station, but Danny Lyons was.
4: Uh,
0: you were the on program the director then, right? Were you? Were you the, uh, the guy that was the chief of, uh, I, was, I don't remember. I was
4: music director. I might
3: have music been program director. Okay. director at the time. Yeah. yeah.
0: So what did so you So we
3: came back. I came back. Danny was already doing whatever coverage he could with the information uh, that we we're getting. And it, it was, um, when you were getting phone calls, Danny, uh, the early part of
4: finding out about what was happening you you mentioned uh, uh well the th- first phone call i got was uh from someone asking why uh they saw it's so difficult to talk about this i, I just remember the day and the emotion that we were feeling and the hardest part about being on the air is that we were getting information that we really couldn't put on the air because we couldn't confirm anything well right? that was so a we problem that i had at four stuff. o'clock
0: i was repeating cnn and they were wrong
4: Yeah, well, they had said originally it was the brother. They
0: said it was the brother. And there was
4: only one teacher that was uh, shot.
0: And they also said that the perpetrator had gone to kill the brother before going to kill the mother and the school. That's what CNN was reporting. I was listening to my broadcast. By 4 in the afternoon, they still quite weren't right. And then in the middle of my show, we got ABC News and a bunch of people to get it right.
4: Yeah, it's so difficult because you want to be sensitive to... You know the people that are going through what they're going through. So the first phone call I got was somebody saying, "There's, what's going on? We're seeing state police and local police and fire uh, apparatus and ambulances rushing up Route 25. What's going on?" We're like, not really sure. And I think I remember my Facebook post. I said, "There's a, um, there's a lockdown at Sandy Hook. Let's hope it's not going to be a tragedy." I don't know why I even said that or why I put that up, but Mm. because I think there had something that happened recently.
0: Now you guys are doing FM radio. Mm -hmm. You're supposed to be doing a lot of songs and catchy songs. That day, did you stop your regular programming?
3: Completely. Yeah. And we uh, had—I don't know how we ended up there in in our studio at Weeby, but the uh, former mayor of Bridgeport was on with us, John Fabrizi.
4: Well, he was doing talk shows on WICC. Oh, that's right, so yeah. Coming from the educating, he was an educator. And Everything
0: was, was in still the in the same system. building. We'd be in WICC. Yeah, mm-hmm. so we
4: wanted to get his perspective on things. He helped us, you know, get the information across. But we were getting trickled-in calls, and uh, one of the—and the, I still have my notes at home. I have my, my, my notepad at home, and, and one of the things I wrote down was 21 children, 6 adults— and someone had called, said they were friends with someone in the state police department, heard this was happening. And we couldn't put that on the air. You so couldn't put that on the air. We had no mm-hmm. We're chatting with Danny Lyons and Stormin yeah. Norman of WeBe108. That's what was hard about it for us, you know. But it's not as hard as what everybody else was going
3: through.
0: Right. So. And so what about when the name started to become public? Do you guys, did you know any of these people?
5: Uh,
3: no, no, not at all. I mean, we were taking phone calls also. Um, Something again that we don't usually do—playing music all the time. But you know, listeners were calling, concerned. Right. We had a lot of teachers that called that day, you know, saying what it was like from their perspective. Because uh, again, we didn't really know anything until the official mm-hmm. news conference happened. And
0: who's um, the who's the guy?
3: Who's the guy um, Dan Malloy. Dan Malloy.
0: In fact, do we have the clip? Let's play the little Dan Malloy, Andrew. He was just interviewed on TNH. These are his thoughts. I was in my office. I was having a meeting. Um, my chief of
5: staff came in to, um, and pulled me out for a minute and said there'd been a, uh, a shooting at a school and uh, and and the reports are that there's, you know, one person injured or, or, or may have said, uh, that, you know, that the person had died. But, you know, I used to be a prosecutor in New York City and when you have a unusual shooting at an unusual building and there's one person injured It's usually a domestic situation um and so I, I said keep me informed and he went back in his office i went back to complete the meeting and got an update and then got an update and got in the car quite frankly uh, understanding that this was a far more serious uh... uh event than anyone could have imagined um, and, uh, and then of course the rest of the day until I think about 11 o'clock that night, um, I was largely at the firehouse and, uh, um, in Sandy Hook. Um, uh, I think I left after, after we had informed, um, the families of, of the situation as we understood it, um, with some finality, um, I think I left for maybe... 25 minutes to do a briefing with the press and was back there and trying to console and uh, individuals and organize um, the response and, and that sort of thing.
0: I was reading an interesting account that we're chatting with Storm and Norman and Danny Lyons of We Be 108 and we're talking about the fact that it's the 10-year anniversary of Sandy Hook and we'll get into a lot of different aspects of it, but I really wanted to begin with broadcasting it. You heard that was Governor Malloy at the time. I was reading an account that said that a lot of parents appreciated that he told them what he knew as opposed to waiting and waiting and waiting until it was officially what he was supposed to tell them what he knew,
6: Hmm.
0: that they were grateful that he was the first person to tell them the truth. Uh I had a friend whose daughter-in-law was studying nursing, and she was called as a first responder. And she never completed her nursing degree after seeing what happened in Sandy Hook. Mm. She came back and she said, I-, I can't do this. I'm too traumatized if this is what it means to be in this profession. Right. I-, I can't unsee what I saw. I know. And she couldn't continue with her studies.
4: A lot of the first responders had that same reaction because that was.
0: You don't ever expect to see that. No. I mean, you're not, you know, you're not a military medic. You don't expect to see mass casualties. Of
4: and the call, you can imagine, the call of the families and the time that they're waiting outside. So, you know, that what you just said about their appreciation for Governor Malloy telling them the truth of what they knew at the time, you know, difficult. And, and then, yeah. like, you know, the days that
3: followed the, I don't know, I don't want to be disrespectful to say the, the circus atmosphere that mm. was there with the media and the the you know the big flagpole on 25 and that was a staging area for all the morning shows there and hosting and it was like oh my goodness you know this is this is Newtown. this is a little town this is sandy
0: hook what happens here and then it just um i drove there that night you did that friday night because Mm -hmm. i have a friend who i had put on the air that day he has a six-year-old so turned out I thought that his kids went to Sandy Hook School. They were one of the only people in the neighborhood to not. They went to a different school. But he had a 6-year-old and I think a 12-year-old, 13-year-old. And all of his kids' friends went to Sandy Hook School because he lived right in the neighborhood. I passed Adam Lanz's house because he lived around the corner from him. And it was all with black tape. It, I just never forget this huge, if you can imagine, double, triple-wide black you know, duct tape with a big X across the house. It was wild. It was wild. Well, all right, thank guys. Thank you
3: for uh, yeah. Thanks Panda for coming in today. Share. you know, one of the things that well, uh, people ask me if I was there, you know, if I was on the air and stuff. I have like um, being on the air for 9/11 happened when I was on the air at Weeby, and. um... And being on the air for uh, for Sandy Hook it's like wow you know I didn't expect this in college
0: punctuation marks in a career right yeah yeah, yeah. all right guys Danny, thank you thanks for uh, joining for us uh, storm uh, Norman, Norman Danny Lyons we're going to chat with, you. with is it okay
4: if I just say one more thing yeah of course. Go for a break I think um, so I just want to send my condolences to the families uh, and I know that there's so much difficulty you know read the articles ten years later mm-hmm. of the children. Uh, the, the brothers and sisters and people that are from sandy Hook and, and newtown and they, and they tell someone that's where they 're from, and immediately people sympathize. they want to have that conversation right and I know the families don't necessarily and today's a day that they want to be left alone. you think and so Be in their solace, I think so I believe that yeah yeah and uh, a, a Saturday after um, the tragedy, I was scheduled to do a, a live broadcast. it was Christmas time at the, at Stanford Mall and i didn't know how to handle that just like we didn't really know how to handle all this on the air the emotion that came out right. and, and us you know right. naturally we couldn't help ourselves right. with we feeling that all these children that children and the, and the and just thinking of the the parents and the and their brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and friends and everybody that what the teacher and the, that, teacher and the principal
0: through. that threw themselves in front of gunfire oh, to shield children one died with a child in her arms
4: so i didn't know what to do and i called our consultant and i said should i do this live broadcast on saturday it sounds kind of frivolous and he goes it's going to be a great way to bring the community together so that was the what i went on the air and i said we're here today i know it's you know it's it's a week before christmas uh and everybody's got to deal with what's going on but let's come together as a community and just you know go through this together and people were coming into the broadcast and hugging and right cuz they don't know what else each to other do cuz they need to reach out it and yeah it out. so yeah. you know it was it was a difficult time and, yeah you know
0: yeah but i'll tell you one of the things melissa spoke about this morning melissa shekatov and we spoke to jen hubbard yesterday is there have been also remarkable beautiful things that people have done in the ensuing years so this we'll talk about on right that too now. Yeah, right now in the sanctuary where we spoke yesterday. Ground is being broken on the Catherine Hubbard Animal Sanctuary in Newtown right now today as we speak. Yesterday we spoke with Jennifer Hubbard, Catherine's mother. You can hear that podcast. And uh, we played for you a little bit of uh, then-Governor Malloy's reflections that he was speaking with Jody Latina and others on WTNH And he was talking about it was like to be governor and to be driving there and to be delivering the news to these parents. He said that at first uh, it was thought to do it one by one, but then he realized that one by one would even be more painful than saying the names to the group. So somehow he figured out a way to communicate. 203-333-9422. So this morning I was listening To my own broadcast, which was exactly 10 years ago this day, but it was on a Friday. I was in a studio in Westchester County on a different radio station, and we were getting the news, and the news was wrong. And I was interviewing Dave Ackert, who is a dear friend of mine, was then, still is now. He lived around the corner from uh, Adam Lanza. He didn't know then that that's who he was living around the corner from. And um but he sort of had a sense of who it might be. They knew it was the Lanza family almost immediately, but they thought it was the brother. It turned out it was Adam. And there was a lot of wrong information. But I, I'm just gonna play a little clip of this with an advise an advisory to you that this is not today's news. This is what happened ten years ago. Do we have a little bit of it? Let's come in. Let's come in with it. Yeah. Welcome to the Lisa Wexler show today on what is one of the saddest days that I can recall on or off air. Uh, Today, tragically, young children were killed in an elementary school in Newtown, Connecticut. It happens to be a community I know well. It isn't far from me. And as it happens, two of the children in that school today were the son and daughter of a very dear friend of mine, somebody I know over 20 years, a client, a friend, a colleague, and Dave Ackert has agreed to come on the air with us right now to talk about the experience of being a parent of two children in that school today in Newtown. Thank goodness his children survived, but now, as we know, 20 others did not. Dave, hi, and welcome to the show today. Hi, Liz. Hi. Uh, So, Dave, first of all, thank you for coming on, and uh, you and I have been speaking for the last several hours as this whole thing unfolded how is it that you even first found out about this
7: um well to clarify my kids don't actually go to that school um and the way i found out they go to another school nearby and the way i found out about it was my wife um who happened to be at their school today uh she was doing a hanukkah celebration in my son's class um called or texted me or something saying they were in lockdown because of a shooting at the sandy hook school which is our local neighborhood elementary school where all my neighbor's kids go uh
0: so okay all right dave i misunderstood i thought that your kids were actually in the school today so but your but your kids were also on lockdown because of what happened in the neighborhood
7: yeah i think uh, all the schools went on lockdown um And so I was basically my wife's lifeline while she was huddled behind a bookshelf in my son's classroom with him and his friends. Nobody really knew what was going on. And um, so she and I, had, you know, we were texting back and forth as updates were coming in.
0: These are your neighbors. So these are the friends of your kids that come to play all the time.
7: Yeah, I, I mean, yes, every, I would say, you know, 80% of the people with kids on my street have kids at that school, and we live on a, a small, small road, dead end, very close community. I'm happy to say that they're all accounted for, um, but we are all hearing about others whose children are not accounted for.
0: How old are your kids, Dave?
7: My son is six, and my daughter is 13.
0: And um, and so, um, let me ask you something, because you had told me that, as far as you knew, the killer killed his mother on the street, but we're hearing on CNN that the mother was killed in the classroom.
7: Yeah, I mean, it, as you know, it's changing by the minute. Um, so, at the time when I told you that, that was the speculation. A couple of hours after... Um, this all started. I had heard that the police and SWAT teams had surrounded a house, which is right around the corner from me, about you know um, two tenths of a mile from my house. Um, and then a little while after that, I had heard that 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 he had shot a relative, presumably his mother, there. But I guess the latest is that his mom was the teacher in the classroom where most of the tragedy took place, um, but that they did find another family member in that house around the corner from me.
0: Yeah. I'm just going to interrupt myself to let you you. know, if you're just listening right now, I'm Lisa Wexler. That's from a broadcast 10 years ago. And what that is, is a time capsule of how difficult it is to know news in real time. Um, We were doing our best at 4 p.m. that day. But, and the reality was that a lot of the information just heard turned out not to be true. Nancy Lanza was killed in her bed. She wasn't a teacher in the school. There were just a million rumors flying around. And um, it's, an, it's extraordinary in a way, broadcasting in that respect. It really is a time capsule. And welcome back to the Lisa Wexler Show. 203 That's just a beautiful rendition of Over the Rainbow. Of course, so is the magnificent original classic one by Judy Garland, but there's something about this one with the ukulele sung by that Hawaiian singer who's since passed away, by the way, that I just thought was remarkable. I'm just playing songs today that are in some strange way coming to my head as a result of today being the 10-year anniversary. Of Sandy Hook, 203-333-9422, and if you'd like to call and contribute to the show <clears throat> with your memories or reflections, by all means, Governor Lamont has announced that he wants to begin a fight that he says if he doesn't do, nobody will, and when will they do it, and that's a fight to ban assault weapons once and for all here in Connecticut. What do you think about that? you think that's a reasonable response in the 10 years since Sandy Hook? I wish I could tell you that was an isolated incident and we've never had another school shooting, but you know that wouldn't be true. You know that if I wanted to, I could devote an entire program every single day to this week's mass shooting. But I don't because we have to move on with life. We have to focus on other things in life and we have to we have to find positive and joy. But we still have an enormous problem with violence. Let's go to B from Trumbull. Hi B, welcome. Yeah.
8: Hi. How are you today? I'm... What a great program. Thank, Thank you. you. Sure. Um, I know you had Jennifer on yesterday, uh, Jen Hubbard. Yes. And I just wanted to um, talk about her a little bit. Um, um, two years ago, um, I, I had shared with you on a different phone call that we lost our 42-year-old son in an accident. Yeah. And um, that following summer, um, almost A year after his passing um, the sanctuary was having a butterfly um, exhibit and my husband and I said you know what it sounds like something we'd like to do so we went up there and um, kids could go out in the field and actually take the nets and try to catch some of the butterflies and there was a, a gal who has a butterfly sanctuary up in Massachusetts who came down and they did talks on butterflies and I had the privilege of being introduced to Jennifer and you know we talked about going there and why we were there and I said it's such a peaceful place Mm -hmm. we have been sitting here watching those fields watching the kids run around and I told her that we had lost our son and I cannot tell you here is a woman my son was 42. Any mother that loses a child at any age, it's, it's a different grief, and it's a different feeling. But losing her child, mm. and she turned around, and she looked at me, and I said, Jennifer, I can't imagine your loss. I said, I don't know. I'm struggling to move on. And she looked at me, and she, I said, you lost a six-year-old. Mm-hmm. I lost an adult, and I'm struggling. And she said, Bernice, you lost a child. You lost someone that you gave birth to. And it doesn't matter how old they were. You're grieving a mother's loss. Lisa, I can't tell you how profound that was, Mm. how compassionate that was. Here is this mother who had gone through this horrible tragedy, and yet, to try to help me with my grief, it just it blew me away. And I just needed to share that today, that um, she's building the sanctuary in her daughter's honor, and the peace that it's bringing to other people is far-reaching. And the peace that she brought to me that day, as a matter of fact, the lady who um, brought down the butterflies for an exhibit, not to release into the air, came over to us. And my husband and I were sitting on a bench and she said, I want you to release one of my butterflies Hmm. into the air. She said, I want you and your husband, cup your hand, I will put the butterfly in, you say your words, you say your prayer, whatever it is you want to say, and then open your hand and release the butterfly. Wow. Um, It was just something and going through life. I say that people are put in our paths for a reason. I believe that, um, and I have found that to be true. I just needed to share it today because I I think her kindness and her compassion just really truly comes from her heart.
0: Yeah, yeah, she's <clears throat> she's an extra. B, thank you very much for calling, um, and telling the story. And I'm, I was listening to you, and I was thinking that. You know, it's very hard for people to find the right words to say to someone. It's why, I think it's why people avoid people that are grieving a lot. They're mm. af- they're afraid to say the wrong thing, and mm. they really don't know the right thing to say. Right. And the fact that she found these words that were so right that they actually gave you some insight and some comfort yes. is remarkable, really. Yes. And it tells me that she is... A messenger. Yeah. You know, yeah. I could see that as I've gotten to know her over the year. I haven't met her in person yet, and uh, I've spoken to her several times on my radio show, and every time after I'm, speak, I'm done speaking with Jennifer Hubbard, I say to my producer, I say, you know, I really have to get on that board because I really have to be part of what she's doing because because she is— you know, another kind of a messenger. She's sort of another angel walking around to be I able to do that. what she's doing. Yeah.
8: yeah, I love that word that you're using, an angel or a yeah, messenger. messenger. And one program she has is for seniors who um, can no longer afford to take care of their animals, right. whatever, mm-hmm. and yep. that's something that's very near and dear to me. And, um, you know, we definitely... Keep that in our, our um, contributions. But uh, she just is a messenger. And I thank you for taking my call today, but I needed to share that. Thank after you. hearing her and today crying so much oh, yeah. and remembering those words, um, thank you, Lisa, for allowing me to get on and tell my story.
0: Thank you, B. You're welcome anytime. Have any a time. Good day. Thank you.
8: Thank you.
0: And continuing with the conversation about peace, um, we were talking about the fact that one of the moms— Uh, Catherine Violet Hubbard's mom has decided and has spent the last 10 years creating a green sanctuary. And there's a big article today in The Hour about how there there is scientific proof, as if we needed it, that green spaces offer healing powers. And there are more and more studies that have come forward to show that every dollar that we spend as a community on green space, literally increases our wellness. A 2019 study found that a hundred dollar increase in parks and recreation spending was associated with can't be just a hundred, right? A hundred per capita, I'm guessing, was associated with a decrease in mortality of deaths per 100,000 people. There is a multitude of evidence to suggest that outdoor exercise is vastly superior to indoor exercise for so many reasons, and that for all of us, access to nature should be a prerequisite for being a human being. According to Connecticut's 2020 Forest Action Plan, more than 60% of Connecticut is forested, Our cities have the most urban tree cover in the entire country. And in Hartford alone, 99% of residents live within a 10-minute walk to a quality park, according to the Trust for Public Land. But in Bridgeport, that number is only 73%. The national average is only 55%. So we've got this thing called Passport to the Parks, where any vehicle registered in Connecticut can get free entrance to parks year-round now. We have a lot of other things going on, but we, we need to be mindful. When we think about, for example, there's a big story in the hour today about last night in Norwalk, the city council voted, I think it was a six to five vote, it was very close, that they are rejecting Hartford's ADU plan, the accessory dwelling unit plan, because they don't think that Hartford can legislate a one size fits all for the town, for the city of Norwalk. And many people are afraid that these detached ADUs are going to come in other people's front and backyards, and they are going to significantly impact the vista and space and feeling of a particular neighborhood. Well, again, we talk about affordability. We talk about needing housing for people. These are very important. These are critical goals of a human society. But along with those critical goals of a human society, we have to keep in mind that we need to keep greening. that that every tree that we take out needs to be replaced and that some trees shouldn't be taken out because they are magnificent for for who they are and what they are and they have many, many more years of healthy life ahead and it is simply wrong and disruptive to animals and nature and insects to take them away because we know even if we want to act only in our own self-interest, even if we don't want to be, Altruistic And think about the other creatures that share this planet with us. Even if we're only thinking about ourselves, we have to say and know that for our own wellness and health, being surrounded by green, beautiful spaces makes us healthier, makes us quite literally live longer. There's a bunch of stories about this as well. The Connecticut Green Infrastructure Project just got $4.5 million from the Federal Long Island Futures Fund. This was a grant from the National Fish and Wildlife Foundation. Um, They want to return the urban sea, which they call Long Island Sound, to abundance. So Connecticut has 20 projects receiving a little bit over $4.5 million, but that's a little less than half the funding dispersed this year. So we need more money to go to this and there are a lot of people in our state that are continuing to work and devote their careers towards making Connecticut a more habitable livable clean and green place to live i'm Lisa Wexler we'll be right back
6: children will
0: listen uh oh, wishes of children oh, i are just i'm just going to fall into my music today you want to join me? Should we fall into the music? That is, Stephen St- uh, Stephen. that is Stephen Sondheim's Children Will Listen from Into the Woods, as interpreted by the one and only great Barbara Streisand. And I highly recommend her The Broadway album, which is where that particular cut comes from, in case you want to buy an album, in case you know what an album is. 203 333 9422. Children Will Listen. Careful the things you say. Children Will Listen you know, it's, um, it's so painful and difficult to think about what happened 10 years ago because you really don't know where to turn, right? Uh, in some respects, you hate to voc- focus on the perpetrator because to some extent, there's sort of a sick, twisted idea out there that a lot of these perpetrators, they want the attention. They go on social media. They are embroiled in their hate. They they lavish and, and somehow sop up attention for this. And so, to some extent, people don't really want to talk about these perpetrators. It's... Um, It's an easier, more sympathetic, and, frankly, more just conversation to talk about the life and times of the victims who were snuffed out and how great they were and how remarkable they were and how unfair it is. But but it's not a one-off. We have a lot of other people walking around that think it's okay to take up an AR-15, a Bushmaster rifle, which is what Adam Lanza used, and he also had a Glock and something else. You know, and go ahead and do this. And it's not history. It's a historical event in a current event conversation, which is why I really do think it's important to... To to lay blame where blame is due. To say this is a combination of causes, and it didn't have to be this way. And how do we avert the next mass casualty event? And and it's and it was interesting speaking with Jennifer Hubbard yesterday because. She knows more than most that Nicole Hockley, for example, partnered for something called Sandy Hook Promise. And what is their promise? Their promise is to reduce gun violence. And Senator Chris Murphy has made it his issue that he's known for more than any other issue, and he was delighted to be able to bring home a— bipartisan gun bill the first time in many, many years in this administration. In fact, we have a quote from, don't we have Chris Murphy as one of our quotes today? Let's hear him. This is Senator Chris Murphy.
9: You know a time of year that a lot of the families in sandy hook try to ignore um but 10 years you can't uh i guess i think about you know all of the good that has been done by these families i mean it's just tremendous um how many different charitable organizations not-for-profits have been started in the names of these children Uh, i think about how many of these families have become active in the movement that you just described there's just no question that without the sandy hook families speaking up on behalf of these kids who now live in fear when they enter their school. um, We wouldn't have seen the change at the state level and at the federal level. Um, uh, So I I think that a lot has gone right in the last 10 years um, after that just absolutely cataclysmic day in Sandy Hook. Um, Tomorrow I'll, you know, quietly be in touch with a lot of those families. It'll be a very, very difficult day for many of them. But uh, I I do think that they see all the lives that have been changed in small ways and big ways by by the efforts that have been led by the community in Sandy Hook uh, since December 14th, 2012.
0: Yeah. And one of the things that on a bipartisan compromise that was done this particular session was a lot of money going into different kinds of, I believe, mental health initiatives in this country. 203 At least it was something. Now, it wasn't what everybody wanted. In other words, It doesn't make everybody happy on either side of the aisle. But one of the things that Governor Lamont has called for is a ban, at least in Connecticut, on these uh, assault rifles, these AR-15s. You know, and I have to say with respect to this issue and this gun in particular, I still have not heard a compelling reason, personally myself, why any civilian needs to have one. I certainly understand that people have a constitutional right to defend themselves and they have a constitutional right to bear arms as interpreted by our Supreme Court. And I don't quarrel with that. I don't quibble with that. But what I don't understand is why anybody would need a repeater to do so.
6: Yesterday the child came out to wonder. Caught a dragon fly inside a jar. Fearful when the sky was full. the carousel oh, wow. of ice. We can't return
0: And welcome back to the Lisa Wexler Show. And the heartbreaking song, Joni Mitchell's The Circle Game, Lieutenant Governor Susan Beisowitz is with us in the studio, so was Wayne Winston. It's such a heartbreaking song, and I think about it on this 10th anniversary of Sandy Hook because I think mm-hmm. about all the parents who didn't get their kids, didn't get to watch their kids on that skating pond to move up in life and the oh. seasons, right?
10: Right. Absolutely. What I, a
0: song, Joni Mitchell,
10: huh? It is a beautiful, beautiful song. I will say that in mid-November, the governor and I went to visit the beautiful reflecting pool that was built to honor the memories of the children and the teachers, the 26 people who died that day, 10 years ago. And what a beautiful place. It is very peaceful. It's in a circle, and it has the names of every person who is lost. And the people who are on the building committee said they selected this beautiful spot because it's very peaceful, but right next to it are a number of ball fields, so you could always hear children playing. So what a beautiful way... To honor the memory of those students and the teachers. Did they put Nancy Lonza's name
0: there? I just wonder.
10: You know, I she
0: wasn't killed at Sandy Hook. I in just her wonder.
10: Home? Yeah, I don't know. Ugh.
0: I bet they probably had to agonize over that decision too.
10: Yeah, I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. I know the names of everyone who was killed in who were killed in the school. Yeah, for sure are on that. And what's interesting is. It's in a circular pattern, but it's not perfect. Mm-hmm. Oh, was that of that right? Course, oh. Because, of course, um, you know, there are um, tragedies for each of the families. And so that imperfection, you know, That's interesting. is symbolic of. I have to go there. I haven't been to, there oh, yet. Oh, just a beautiful
0: place to be and reflect. <sighs> And it is a day, right, of reflection? Absolutely. So you're part of the, very much part of Governor Lamont's administration. He came out last week and he said, if I don't do it, who will? And he wants to ban the AR-15. He wants to say enough is enough is enough. No more assault weapons to be able to be legally sold in Connecticut.
10: That's right. And I think one of the reasons he's suggested that is because there was a military style weapon used to kill the two police officers in Bristol. Yeah. And yeah, th- the sad part is that when the assault weapon ban was passed in the aftermath of Sandy Hook, weapons that were banned in the legislation were grandfathered in. And so people came forward and registered those weapons. And there were 50,000 of them that were well, registered. So, in other words,
0: so, so let's just be clear. So after Sandy Hook in this statewide gun legislation, we said you can't sell them anymore here in Connecticut, new ones. You
10: can't legally buy them, right? Right. But if you already them. But if own you them. possess them,
0: nobody had the appetite to go and confiscate people's weapons in their homes. Right. But now, 10 years later, Governor Lamont has said, hmm, it's 10 years. The problem hasn't gone away. So, maybe now we have to confiscate them. Is that what you're talking about?
10: Um, you know, the governor has floated that idea. You should have Steve Staffstrom on your show. I um, had him on last on week. Show. There I you had him go. on last week. So, I was speaking with him because he is the chair of the judiciary. judiciary mm-hmm. And he and Matt Blumenthal have been extremely involved in, and Gary Winfield writing gun safety.
0: Legislation. Gary Winfield seems to say in the newspaper account that I read that he didn't think it would fly.
10: Yeah, they, um, all the legislators that I have spoken with have said that they do not think there's a bipartisan appetite to do this. Mm. Um, One good thing about the Sandy Hook gun law and some of the other pieces of legislation that we have passed for gun safety, like Ethan's law, safe storage, Mm -hmm. they have been bipartisan right so I think that legislators will be striving to keep that bipartisan uh, support going so there are what if we
0: just offer a lot of money and we get rid of a lot of them voluntarily so people get a lot of money to sell them back to the police department I
10: wouldn't mind that okay
0: I mean money is a pretty healthy incentive for people and maybe they'll decide if they have three that they can get rid of two and hold on to their one until eventually they get rid of their one. There are a lot of people in Connecticut that have more than one of these rifles. That's right.
10: And gun buyback programs that police departments do are usually quite successful. They are. So maybe we just offer a lot of money so we sort of get them out of a lot of hands.
0: Absolutely. An interesting idea. An interesting idea. And by the way, this other interesting idea, which I already got phone calls about this morning, was apparently the governor is floating this idea of reducing the income tax rate. Oh, yes. Talk about bipartisan support. I think people yes. are going to do handsprings. Yep.
10: He has suggested uh, looking yes. at those in the one hundred and fifty to $200,000 income bracket. Yeah, but that's a lot of people. It is. It is. It is. And uh, we had a very broad-based tax cut with the 600 million dollar uh, tax cut biggest in the history of Connecticut that was uh, given in the last budget cycle so now he is and our administration are looking at what can we do for relief because inflation is starting to come down you know gas prices in my area 299 finally home heating oils coming down but People have been through a lot, and energy prices, um, you know, our electric prices are going to be high.
0: Yes. So we want to try to do something to help families. We're chatting with Lieutenant Governor Susan Bysowitz and Wayne Winston is also in our studio. Uh, Lieutenant Governor, how how involved are you with the policies of the Governor Lamont administration? Does he consult you before going ahead with something, does he let you know after the fact? This is what we're doing. I'm curious. Is it so, what kind of a relationship do you have? So
10: we have a we have a very close relationship. We talk uh, every day. Uh, you know, usually in the morning, usually um, in the afternoon or the evening. Uh, I am the governor today because the governor is out of state. Oh, is he? he okay, is so we talk. We run ideas uh, by. Uh, one another, um, and I think almost always we're on the same page. Okay. Every so often we have some some uh, things that we disagree on.
0: Um, That's but normal. But we agree to disagree. <laughs> yeah, okay.
10: Yeah. But um, on almost everything we are on the same page, which is a good thing.
0: Lieutenant Governor Susan Bicewitz is in the studio, 203-333-9422, if you'd like to ask a question or a comment. Did you have a question? Because I was going to go to commercial. Go ahead. Go uh,
11: yes. Um Yes. You know, the uh, the rates are going to tra- change in January for electricity, for everybody, the power. Yep. Is there anything that we can do, or the state can do, to change that whole crazy consortium thing that we have going on that continues to do that every year?
10: Yeah. So... We, you will see a very big effort from our energy uh, legislative committee to look at. Is that Jonathan Steinberg? Wasn't he just. Jonathan Steinberg of Westport. Of course. Exactly. (laughs) And Norm Needleman of Essex. Uh, The two of them are the co chairs of that committee come January. So that is going to be a huge focus of legislative.
0: Activity. I, I think that they need to look at restructuring every source, and I don't think people have the real appetite to do it, but in my opinion it
10: yeah no the deregulation have, has been a disaster. It, it has. It was done more than a decade ago, but how do you have an increase of forty percent? I do think we've made some strides in energy from the uh, renewable and carbon-free perspective because we have the wind farms that Mm. are going to be built on our coastline in London, Bridgeport, and when that happens, we will be 93% carbon-free, but we will still be relying on
0: Millstone, our nuclear plant, Mm -hmm. for although maybe 10 years. Yeah, well, we need it, and people are talking about fusion now. Did you see that extraordinary? I saw that. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. Yeah, it's very exciting. We're going to be right back with Lieutenant Governor Susan Beisowitz and Wayne Winston. Stay tuned for more of the Lisa Wexler Show, 203-333-9422.
3: Working from home? Lisa's on your laptop at WICC600.com. It's the Lisa Wexler Show on
7: WICC600.
6: While I was away and he was talking for I knew it and as he grew, he'd say, I'm gonna be like you, Dad. You know I'm gonna be like you And we're and back with Lieutenant
0: Governor Susan Bysowitz and Wayne Winston And we're talking about the cats in the cradle
1: don't know when
0: but Right, we'll right You there. bet So it is the 10th anniversary of Newtown. We're coming into the last 10 minutes of the show. And Lieutenant Governor Susan Bysowitz, you want to talk about a different, frankly, far more common, prevalent kind of violence— and that is domestic violence, even though I think we should use the word family, because domestic sounds too peaceful, doesn't it? It, it sort does, of an oxymoron. And usually term.
10: it's violence against women, yes, but it is. On, occasion, on occasion it is against men. It is, but it's mostly against women, and we're women, so let's talk about so that. So let's talk about it, and, and it is a huge public health pandemic, because one in four women have experienced it. So domestic violence is... Uh, public health problem more prevalent uh, with women than diabetes and breast cancer combined. So that is uh, a huge issue and sadly in our state we have 14 women killed in intimate partner homicides and here we are in Milford that has just experienced the terrible, terrible tragic murder of Julie Minogue,
0: I in front of her children. In front of her children, a three-year-old in shock oh. on the couch, a 17-year-old who jumped out the window. Right? Oh. Mm-hmm. Right? And you're a lawyer. I'm a lawyer. Mm-hmm. She did everything that she was supposed to do. She did. She didn't run and hide. She said, please help me. Please help me. And we failed her. We, meaning society, the legal system, we failed her. And that
10: is what we have to look at right now to see... If there was a breakdown uh, with either prosecutors or law enforcement, you know, should there be GPS monitoring of people who uh, have protective orders? What's the deal with –
0: since you wanted to bring up that case, I've got a question, and you're here in Milford today, so I have a question. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a lot of confusion about the so-called arrest warrant. Can you tell me what that's about and a west arrest warrant was apparently issued but not signed. I don't understand what what does that mean?
10: Yeah, and I am not sure of all the particulars, but we should find out because if someone did the right thing, went to court, got a protective order because they were in fear for their safety of themselves and their children and we owe it to uh, Julie's memory and family to fix that. Did you see that the guy
0: down in North Carolina had also been arrested for harassing another woman and the prosecutor wanted him out on bail? I'm sorry, the defense counsel wanted him out on bail for like a half a million dollars, not insignificant. And the judge said, no, he needs 75 days in jail. The judge put him in jail in North Carolina. And here's the thing. Let's just say that
10: Milford Police had arrested the perpetrator for harassing text messages, let's just say that happened, um, he probably would have been out on bail because, you know, that in itself isn't a felony, right? That's
0: so what are you advocating for? What would you like to see happen?
10: So I don't purport to have all the answers. I will say this, that I went to the vigil. Um, that was held for the community, and hundreds of people were there. So the Milford community has wrapped themselves around the family, which is a good thing. And I have spoken with Milford legislators, Senator Maroney, uh Representative Kennedy, and said, you know, let us know uh, if you think there should be changes to our law that would help victims— But I think all of us have to be involved. Domestic violence is so prevalent. All of us have to be watching. All of us should be trying to reduce the stigma so that if we think someone uh, is being threatened, is afraid, we need to reach out and say, hey, there is help available. What can we do? This is on men. It's on women. It's on everyone. But if we know
0: that it affects women disproportionately then the root cause is intimidation and bullying and coercive control in the relationship between men and women. Yes, it is. So if that's the case, and we're talking about intimate relationships, and I have said this, if I'm I'm talking to you, Lieutenant Governor, Mm -hmm. as a policymaker, I have advocated on the radio for the 16 years I've been on the air that it is far more important for our young people in middle and high schools to be learning – how to parent, and how to be a partner than it is to learn trigonometry. I mean, if in a finite resource of the world, of information that is really helpful to society, human beings, men and women, need to learn in school, because they're not learning it out of school, how to relate to other people. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I will say that intimate
10: partner violence can be very prevalent on college campuses and the youngest women women in the 18 to 24 year old age group are at the highest risk so colleges we've started to see more reports of intimate partner violence um, more reports being made on college campuses which is good Because it means that young people are more aware that this is a problem, that this is not acceptable. But, yeah, I
0: couldn't agree with you more. I mean, we have to – if parents either are not modeling or they're in single-parent homes where there isn't a model or they're not – capable of having these conversations with their own children, which is also very common. It's hard to have these conversations sometimes with your growing teenager about what does their relationship look like and show me your Snapchat and let me see what you're texting. There's a lot of normal, healthy boundary setting and separation that goes on in adolescent life between adolescents and parents. But our American culture is is toxic, and I'm not using that. I, I rarely use that word, but it is. It's very poisonous. A lot of the cultural messages we get... Condone the way men speak to women in a, in, a, in a derogatory, unhealthy way. We have to correct it in our culture. And that means we have to start teaching it in our schools. I absolutely agree. I agree. So, you know, when you talk, go ahead, Wayne, go ahead. Chime yeah. in, you got a minute. Go ahead. As, as male a male. Male perspective. Yeah. As a male. Do we get listen, to hear from you? Go ahead.
11: Everything. <laughs> are we allowed? Go ahead. Hey, listen, are we you allowing are
0: you on? Go ahead. <laughs>
11: Appreciate it. Um, it is so true what you're saying, and I think that is so important because I think if you start at early enough especially with teenagers and into college, there should be things that are required that make sense because we have to take it serious, and you only take it serious when you have a process to discuss it. That's correct. In a, in a, in a professional environment and let women know they, this place to go to be safe and what is expected of men and what the uh, consequences would be, for that matter, if you're on a campus or in a school to make it no tolerance
0: no tolerance you do fact patterns with a group of kids five or six at a time and you act out and you role play and all of a sudden when things are said out loud and and the world hears out loud what is that text message and you make these things up obviously sure. but then you are changing a kid's brain about what a normal expectation right. is of a relationship so maybe they won't insidiously get played as quickly they'll yes. start to see the red flag
11: yes yes that's that's so important because boys, you know, it's like women's brains think differently than we men's do. brains. And that's a fact. And I think the earlier we start, the better. And that can also reflect upon easing some of the isms of racism and sexism and even the gender problems that we're having with the gay community and so on. Just to say this is acceptable and that's not and put make it that zero tolerance as well. Because there's too many times horrible things happen like this, but we kind of have this. You know stand off like like the hot stove Oop, that happened now we we dealt with it we talked to a parent or something we have to create a system that says this is how we deal with this particular problem and have the discussion about what is right is wrong and the consequences thereof so I think that we're on the right track and I'm happy I'm in a state where we have these types of shows and a lieutenant governor um, who is responsive um, and even the show, Lisa, as I've said before, being on the show is important because we have voices that don't normally get, get heard. And I tell her always there's no <laughs> white Jewish attorney, a black man anywhere in America. I think we got he loves the only this. Show.
0: Waits <laughs> well, on every week. He loves this. He I love it. it. I love it We're too. It. <laughs> I love it
2: too. Hold up. What was that?
1: For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Thank you for
0: listening. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends. And as always, feel free to contact me at Lisa at LisaWexler.com.